AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news. Sports talk. Comedians or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. When you have health insurance, it's easy to forget about your out-of-pocket costs. That can be a lot of money. But are your bills accurate? It's estimated over 50% of medical bills contain errors. HealthLock can help. HealthLock technology securely connects with your insurance and flags any overbilling, wrong codes, and fraud. You can even have HealthLock work on your behalf to get money back from select past bills. To date, HealthLock has helped its members save over $130 million. To save, visit HealthLock.com today. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options, like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. Brought to you by Toyota. Let's go places. Welcome to Forward Thinking. Hey there, everyone, and welcome to Forward Thinking, the podcast that looks at the future and says, don't I know you from somewhere? I'm Jonathan Strickland. I'm Lauren Volkelbaum. And I'm Joe McCormick. And today we wanted to talk about the speed of communication and how that might one day be a problem. Now, if you listened to our previous podcast, you probably heard us talk about how we've really kind of cracked the speed nut as far as communication goes here on Earth. It's more of a, a, a throughput or bandwidth issue than a speed issue. But when you start looking beyond Earth, we still have that speed problem, don't we? Mm -hmm. Oh, across long enough distances, yeah. Yeah, and we have a fairly recent example of how this can become a challenge uh, with the the landing of the Curiosity rover on Mars that happened in 2012. Right. Uh, I was I remember the night this happened. So do I. I remember I was covering it live uh, for this week in tech. 
Yeah. Yeah, I was just blogging about it on Facebook, basically. Awesome. Um, yeah, yeah. And, uh, and I was watching the live stream, <clears throat> and, uh, which is interesting because there were two delays going on. There was the delay between what was happening on Mars and the people at the for whom at, it was actually important yeah, at the NASA JPL mm-hmm. finding out about it, and then right. the delay, of course, between them and then me at my house getting the stream. Right. Um, and so, but when you think about that, it's interesting because those are totally two totally different scales of delay. Yes. Um, one is a very small delay. Uh, based on throughput, like how long does it take the bits of data from their transmission to get to my computer so I can watch them as pixels on my screen? Right. Um, and and that's throughput, like we talked about last yeah, time. It's, it's, a, it's a few seconds. Yeah, it's nothing. Uh, it's uh, just trying to squeeze that data into the wire fast enough and, and get and re- it to my house. Reconstitute it on the other end. Yeah. But the other one has a really serious, significant physical limit. Yes. Um, and what is that limit? Well, it's the speed of light in a vacuum. Right. Uh, oh, so, Which is very fast, but... Oh, it's quite fast. <laughs> it's like 186,000 miles, uh, miles per second, yeah, basically. And, and we think of it as the, the universal speed limit, although more on that later. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, well, we can say that now, right? That's a good thing to start with, actually. Yeah. Um, uh, Einstein's theory of relativity says that essentially nothing with mass can go the speed of light or faster. Right. It's it's an absolute limit, and and the reasons for that are multiple. But basically, uh, one it, would take, of them, it would take infinite energy, mm-hmm. and 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 by the time that you worked up to it, you would have infinite mass, and right, everything exactly. would be messy. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. That's exactly it. It it, it would be impossible to propel yourself because you. Anyway, yeah, good good way to put that. <laughs> um, so uh, so we think that's the universal speed limit, right? Um, well, that, and that's what resulted in the fact that it took us uh, so several minutes to learn the right, fate of the curiosity. Yeah, rover. that's what I was getting to. So yeah. uh, we're here on Earth, and the people at the, I realized the people of the Jet Propulsion Lab didn't know for about fourteen minutes. Whether the the lander had succeeded or whether it was you know crashed crushed into it, a fire yeah, or whether yeah. like Martians had captured it and, and taken it for their Little, sick purposes, their or, robot wars, right? Um, <laughs> or, or what? Uh, we just had no idea, and so here it was just an issue of suspense, right? Um, because the the transmission traveling at the speed of light at the the maximum speed takes that long to get to us and we just don't know. But this could actually be a real problem for exploring other planets, right? Oh, yeah. What if you needed to control something in real time on another planet? The the, the Mars landing was relatively simple. I mean, we were pretty sure that we weren't crashing it into any any mountains, you know, and Mm -hmm. that we were pretty sure there were no giant space slugs out there ready to eat it. So it was okay, but, you know. But if if there had been space slugs. Yeah. Or or if there the planet's uh, surface had been treacherous enough where, for some reason, we thought a human being would be more capable of piloting that ship rather than a very sophisticated computer, then obviously that would have been an issue because mm-hmm. there would have been a very long delay from the time when the the lander would be able to relay that information to you, and then just as long for your commands to go back to the lander so that it could adjust in any way. And by that time, conditions will have changed dramatically. I mean, you're talking half an hour almost. Right. Mm -hmm. So this is a weird case where it's not really a problem here on Earth, but when you start exploring the galaxy, the speed of light just isn't fast enough. So we need something faster. We do. 
is there a way to talk to the Curiosity Lander faster than light can get from one place to another? Well, before I give my answer, I think we should probably talk about some some potential ways that it <laughs> according <laughs> and then I'll give my answer at the end. Right. According to Star Trek, there are these uh there there's the subspace that's kind of like a parallel dimension that these uh-huh. uh, these particles called called tetrions are floating around in and these mm. these are really uh really random momentum particles and and when they bleed over into real space all kinds of wacky stuff happens that makes for really compelling television hopefully. Um right. but uh <laughs> But 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 as as far as I can tell, this is not this is not one of those things. It's really a plot device more so right. it's, it's, than any it's, kind of physics. It's a how do we get around this fundamental problem? Let's explain it away with something that doesn't really Tetrion exist. Tetrion particles, oh no! So th- yeah. And then we just say, oh, they were discovered in twenty two seventy two. So that way. No one can complain about the fact that these things don't seem to exist. Well, you the know? Vulcans have been using them since Earth year well, 1950. Yeah, the Vulcans so. are the universe's hipsters. We have established <laughs> that. You know, they were they were using tetrion particles before it was cool. They even have the little hipster bangs like yeah. me. They, That's they, great. They, however, have already moved beyond right. the ironic mustache. Yes. Yes. Clearly. Joe. You know, it, well, it's funny that the the difference essentially between science fiction and fantasy is that the magic things in fantasy are designed to sound like religious items, and the magic things in sci-fi are designed to sound like things from a science textbook. Well, and, and, and of course, and, and Tetrion they, is really they close could be called to like obelisks of you know, like yeah. it's just Shards. it's a magic yeah, yeah, yeah. thing either way. Yeah, well, but, well, but, but but Tetrions is uh, is a really close word to tachyons. Yeah. Ah, there we go. Well, so some people do think that maybe tachyons could help us talk faster than light, get information from one place to another at uh, superliminal speeds. Sure. So so what what is a tachyon? Well, a tachyon is... Hypothetically. And I, I, yeah, I want to emphasize this, a hypothetical particle. That, right. That means, and that's different from a theoretical particle. Um, theoretical would be one that that's integral, like to some like theory that yeah, to, yeah. or in, Higgs boson, right? Sure. Integral to some theory that we have good evidence for. Right. Hypothetical just means like we can posit it and we can sort of talk about it, but there's no evidence for it. Now you can justify it in the sense of creating a mathematical expression that that where it makes sense, but there's no other evidence whatsoever. For right. It. Um, and, and even the first thing you said, the, the making sense mathemat- mathematically is, uh, questionable. Here, right. But right. we can talk about that in a second. So tachyons are super lim- liminal particles. Uh, and that means that they always go faster yeah, than they, the speed of they light. They cannot approach the speed of light. They cannot slow down that much because it would take, again, an infinite amount of energy. Right. To slow them down. So you sort of imagine, imagine a, a big X shape. Uh-huh. And we and all the matter that we know about are in the bottom triangle of that X. All right. Right. Uh, we live down there. And as we uh, and the, the where the X's were, uh, where the triangles intersect, basically mm-hmm. the cross of the X, that's the speed of light. All right. Sure. So it's the and, center of the X. Right. And as we approach that going up toward the, the top of our little triangle, uh, things start getting wonky. Of course, you know, the, the we have time dilation and, and crazy stuff and we can't get to the apex of that triangle. Gotcha. Um, they live in the top triangle. Tachyons are up there. And they're basically an inverse of everything that we experience in the bottom half. As they approach the speed of light going down towards that things get cross, wonky. things get wonky. It stops making sense. Okay. But they travel faster than light. If they exist, 
it's possible, some people think, that, well, could we harness them to communicate faster than light? And there are some serious objections, mm-hmm. I think, to this hypothesis. Um, one of them, of course, is, as we said, we have no proof that these things even exist. So right. we're, we're talking hypothetically anyway. Sure. And, and that should always be noted as a major objection. <laughs> right. Um, right. But number two, uh, you would – Bring on causality paradoxes if you could really use what uh, some some physicists described this device as the tachyonic anti-telephone, right? It's a gotcha. device that allows you to call the past. Right. So, um, so essentially right, what yeah. happens is the person who receives your message would get it before you had actually sent it. Right. And and that's actually what Einstein's theory of relativity says, right? If If you go faster than the speed of light, what it seems to imply is that you would start going backward in time, which doesn't make any sense at all. Right. At least um, as far as we can understand. Right. Right. And so that's another major objection. Uh, also, from what I've read, if you, if you look at tachyons um, – the math is really strange to, to justify them. Um, so again, using relativistic equations, what it looks like is that uh, in order for a tachyon to have actual real energy, it has to have imaginary mass. Right. I remember seeing an example being uh, it would have a mass of the square root of negative one. That's exactly right. That's, That's an imaginary an number. An imaginary number, that just, right. That hurt my brain. <laughs> well, yeah, I'll tell you what's hurting my brain. So Joe was talking about this X where all of our matter's on the bottom okay. and all the tachyon stuff's right. on the top. Who lives on the left and right? I think that was the neutrinos from the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles cartoon series. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, and, the, the, and the street sharks—they're over on the right. I'm, I'm back up. I'm yeah. back up to speed now. Okay, but I've been yeah. lost since then. So, so, so yeah, relativistic street sharks carry our data faster than light, and then we've done it. Uh, yeah. No, okay, but so basically, the tachyon business is really complex and definitely above my head. Uh, but from everything I've read, uh, people who know what they're talking about don't seem to give this much credibility. They don't think you can do it. Um, and it, one major problem is, again, you mentioned the two different parts of the X. Yeah. Well, they're two different parts, parts. of the X. Yeah. So even if these things exist up there, there's no way to know that we can mess with them. Yeah, or there may be no them. way mm-hmm. to interact with that yeah, at all. They could be um, what, what physicists would call free particles, meaning that they just don't interact with our type of matter. Right. Well, uh I have another. I have another little hypothetical thing. This one's okay, this cool. one's this one's very goofy. Yeah. All right. So let's say that Lauren, that you are in a, uh, you're living in a space station, like I do. Yeah. yeah you know what? You're you're building robots to eventually take over the planet uh, around which your space station orbits. I've asked you not to talk about this in public. I'm sorry. Which uh, planet? It'd be in, in, in for the arg- for this argument's sake. We'll say Earth. Okay. Uh, this is all a certain is, ringed planet that I will all, not name. This is all documented in the movie The Terminators. Um, <laughs> and then let's say that I'm on a space station that's 500 light years away. Good. Okay. And and so, <laughs> thanks, Joe. <laughs> no, that's not what I meant. I think Go ahead. This show's going to have one less host in it, one fewer host in a minute. Um, so let's say that uh, that I want to send, I want to get Lauren's attention, but I'm 500 light years away. If I mm. were to send a message. Uh, from our respective points of view, that would take 500 years at light speed to go from my uh, my station to her station. And in 500 years, Lauren might not care so much that uh, I found her old cell phone that yeah, she left in the yeah. space station. That, 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 that Facebook status update would not be critical anymore. Right. So let's say that I've devised an ingenious plan. 
I have a bell installed in Lauren's space station. And attached to that bell is a string that's 500 light years long. <laughs> and the end of that string is inside my space station. And so I just grab the end of that string and I give it a really good tug so that it'll ring the bell inside Lauren's space station. Now, wouldn't that bell ring the instant I pull that string? Thus, I am able to communicate. I'm able to get some form of information across instantaneously across 500 light years without having to send a message all the way through. No, and that would actually be way, way slower yeah. than a normal... Yeah. Than trans- light speed, because a, we're talking about sound speed? Right. Yeah. A, a radio transmission travels at the mm-hmm. speed of light. A wave propagation along a string travels at the speed of sound. Right, right? yeah, you're talking about the same well, thing. Well, like, I mean, might even be slower than the speed of well, sound. Well, it's essentially the speed of sound. It's the speed of string. Speed of sound, well, speed of push or speed of pull right. is the way a lot of people say it. But it's the speed of sound through that particular medium. Mm-hmm. So, in other words, uh, like if we were to change that and instead of it being a string, it's uh, it's a pole. So it's like a metal pole that le- stretches 500 light years, and I start to move my end of the metal pole. It would actually take longer than 500 years for that to propagate across the entire length of the pole so that the end that's in Lawrence space station would start to wiggle. This seems counterintuitive, but it's completely true. It It's dependent completely upon that, that, uh, that vibration propagating across, that mm-hmm. wave propagating across. And you can see this. There's some great videos on YouTube where people have a slinky. And they're holding one end of the slinky up vertically, like, uh, you know, so that the bottom of the slinky is off the ground. And then they let go of the top of the slinky and then you, you watch it in slow motion. You can actually watch the wave propagate across the length of the slinky. Now the top of the slinky starts falling toward the ground according to gravity pulling it down. It's accelerating at, at the speed of gravity. But the bottom of the slinky remains in place until that wave propagates oh, wow. across it. That's pretty cool. That's so really yeah, cool. you'll actually see like the, the top of the slinky is falling to the ground and the bottom of the slinky is still Hovering. there yeah. until that wave propagates and then the bottom of the slinky starts to fall. Wow. So this is now... On on Earth, this is so quick that we mm-hmm. barely notice it, right? Yeah, you would need an incredibly long... Uh, slinky, slinky for us to notice this when it's not slowed down to super slow speeds. But when you're talking about light years, that's a huge distance. And at that at that scale, this stuff really matters. And so that's why you could not just have, you know, two cans and a piece of string and and just chat across the emptiness of space that way. Yeah. And expect okay. an answer anytime soon anyway. So we've established that tachyons probably a no go. Uh treehouse telephone not as good as what NASA uses. I tried really hard <laughs> Um so what else is left? Are there other ways people might think we might be able to go faster than what we've got? Um, well, there's, there's, here's another theoretical sort of, well, hypothetical sort of thing, but it falls apart once you do the math. I don't have a whole lot of uh, detail on it, but I just want to kind of give an, uh, a quick shout out to the Casimir effect, which hmm. is a small but measurable force that exists between two uncharged conducting plates when they are incredibly close together. And photons that travel across the gap between these two uncharged conducting plates go faster than the speed of light by a very, very, very small amount. What? Yeah. So from based upon measurements... The photons are actually moving faster than what photons can move. However, once – and this is all theory, by the way. Right. But but theoretical investigations into this effect to see if this would be a way to scale this in any form of communication have turned out to show that there's nothing there. You can't can't communicate this way. Mm. Um, 
Then there's quantum entanglement. Quantum entanglement. Yeah, speaking yeah. of photons. Yeah, this the photons are, are one thing you could do. You could do with polarization of photons. But quantum entanglement, this is the well, idea that – Before we get into this, we should say that this is the big one, right? This yeah. is the big kahuna. This is the one that people think – they really do think maybe, right. maybe there, we there's can this do one, There's this one and quantum tunneling. Those right. are the yeah. two yeah. big ones. Yeah, they're, yeah. They're, they're actually talking about setting up a, setting up a quantum entanglement uh, experiment on the uh, International Space Station. Yeah. yeah. So it's, let's let's get into so, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. So quantum entanglement brings in some problems with uh, quantum theory. Well, I say problems. Einstein said problems. Einstein found this idea of quantum entanglement to be really problematic spooky. and scary. Spooky. Yeah, he actually called it spooky action at a distance. Well, what is that action, Jonathan? So quantum entanglement is this concept where you get these two subatomic particles and they are uh, entangled in such a way that the behavior of one will tell you a, something about the behavior of the other. So Necessarily? Like you definitely know? When they're entangled, yeah. Well, wow. not definitely. Not definitely, because um, it, it, it gets a little complicated. Because uh, Heisenberg's you're... uncertainty principle tells us that we cannot know uh, everything, everything about, about particle. any particle. Right. We can we can draw a conclusion about something about the other particle's behavior. Right. So, for example, we might talk about the spin of a subatomic particle. Mm-hmm. Now, spin can be across different axes. Sure. It's not just across one axis. But for the purposes of this, I'm just going to say uh, we're just going to look at one axis of spin to make this uh, a simple example. But please keep in mind that this is just a simplified example. It's not how the how physical it actually world is going works. To work. yeah. Right. So let's say that you've got two subatomic particles that are entangled, and one of them is spinning along an axis in a clockwise direction uh, relative to your position. Okay. So when you observe it, it looks like it's moving in, in a clockwise position. Remember, everything's relative. Well, then uh, the other particle, even though you haven't even looked at it, you will know that because these two are entangled, the other particle is going to spin in the opposite direction of the first one. So it's spinning in a counterclockwise mm-hmm. or Wittershins direction based <laughs> upon your uh, your perspective. Read your Shakespeare, relative. Joe. Yeah. Uh, so, so yeah, it's it's uh, clockwise and 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 counterclockwise, or as one of my uh, one of my my directions once said for a fan that I was trying to build, anti counterclockwise would be the <laughs> first one, and clockwise would be whatever. So yeah, one's turning clockwise, the other one's turning counterclockwise. By observing one, you know what the other one's doing. But right. at that point, that entanglement breaks down. They are no the behavior of one is no longer dependent. Or uh, entangled with the behavior of the other. They're not dependent. Because you observed it. Right, right. Because you've observed it. That system is broken down. That's one of the big challenges or really the big barrier to quantum entanglement is that you cannot actually pass information through entanglement. Well, wait a minute. I don't know if we said for sure why this would be faster than the speed of light. And that would be because you can take these things really far apart. Right. You, right? Could, you could take one subatomic particle to the other end of the universe. Mm-hmm. You know, in theory, anyway. And once once you've entangled them, they're yeah, they're entangled, right? And it's non-localized. It's the locality is not an issue. At least, well, locality as we understand it in the sense of space. Mm-hmm. In the quantum world, locality means lots of different stuff. So that's it's one of those things where part of the problem is just the vocabulary and so, the way that the quantum physicists use it, as opposed to people like me. It, it could be that these two quanta are uh, actually right next to each other in a dimension that we can't even see. Right? That, that's one way of looking at it. Yes. Yeah. So in the in the dimension of space, they could be very far apart. You could have one on the other side of Alpha Centauri and one here on Earth. And by observing the one here on Earth, you know what the one on Alpha Centauri what what 
that one behavior of the one that Nelson Santari mm-hmm. was doing. So that's positing the transfer of information uh, at instantaneously or at, another thing I read was that they think maybe it goes at like 10,000 times the speed of light or something. Yeah, that's what that's what one professor has come up with well, recently. The Einstein, Boris Podolsky and Nathan Rosen uh, all thought that this was uh, you know, that this was a terrible idea and that, that it was clearly that the the problem was that we just didn't understand enough about quantum theory and that yeah. this could not be possible. They they raised but what was called now the, we know. <laughs> well, well, now we do know different things. We, we do know we more, do, but, but I don't, well, do we, well, we know, know enough? Sorry, we know it's no. impossible for a different reason. Yeah, for a different reason than what they they came up with okay. what was called the EPR paradox, which is essentially what I was saying that yeah. you know you cannot transmit information faster than the speed of light. And in fact, I saw a great example. Uh, Karen Masters at Cornell has a has a little uh, uh, webpage where she was answering questions about this sort of stuff. And she said, all right, now imagine this scenario. You've got two friends and they are uh, an equal distance away from you uh, on the other side of the galaxy. So one's in one direction, one's in the other direction. And before they left, you told them that you would send a uh, a beam of light uh, to each of them. And the beam for one of them would be red, and the beam for the other one would be blue. And you would send them both at the exact same time. So you send those beams, and the one on one end of the galaxy sees red. So they know that the one on the other end of the galaxy is blue. Does that mean that they have received... Uh, information faster than the speed of light? And the answer is no, because they actually already had the information uh, subluminally because they learned about it before they even left Earth. They, they haven't gained anything new here. And that there is no way to actually communicate real information using mm-hmm. this method. Right. You All you can do is draw conclusions. Yeah. So there's there's this barrier. It's, it's an interesting phenomena, and uh, phenomenon, I should say. And it would be really cool to learn more about it, but it does not look like there's any way to harness it to actually communicate any information. Right, right, right. It's it's not like a like a Morse code kind of thing where you can, right. Mm-hmm. No, you can you can look at a photon to learn a fact, but you can't send information. Right. You, for one thing, you cannot even manipulate those those quanta to do what you want. They they what's happening is the quanta are in an unknown state. Right. And then you observe it, you learn the state, but at the same time that breaks down that entanglement. Mm-hmm. So you can't manipulate the state of the quanta. I mean, you can manipulate the state like crazy if you're a pol- politician. So, so <laughs> I mean, essentially what you're saying is that the problem with quantum entanglement is you may be able to know things across a great distance really fast, even faster than light, but all you can do is just know a random outcome far away. And you can't know everything either. Yeah. So that's the other thing is that you're, you're you learning. You basically know that it's changed. Yeah, you can it's, know it's, it's, it's a random outcome. Right, you, you know a random outcome, but you can't get messages back and forth. Exactly. Yeah. And and so Yet. yeah, it's not it's not communication, right? Uh, maybe someday we'll learn some way of harnessing that, but uh, it looks like it's a fundamental uh, element of the universe. It's something that is just beyond our ability to to uh, manipulate. Can I tell you, I'm really excited about all the email we're going to get about how we're totally misunderstanding this. <laughs> Well, I'll be sure to forward it to you. Uh, actually, you're on that list, so you'll be able to see it yourself. Uh, well, let's move on to quantum tunneling. Excellent. Quantum tunneling. Uh, so quantum tunneling. Have you heard about is this? That what, is that what quantum dwarves do? No. Is that what uh, those quantum uh, the, the, the quantum uh, worms from Tremors, you know? Oh, I know the, what you're talking about, but those yeah. were not quantum. 
No? No, they were on okay. far too great a scale to be on the quantum scale. Well, okay, just tell me about your boring quantum tunneling. Then. I sure will. So, all right. Now, when you get down to really super, super, super tiny uh, scales, like mm-hmm. the nanoscale, all right, and let, or the atomic scale, that's that's even better. So you get to the atomic scale. Let's say you've got an electron cr- traveling down a pathway. You don't really know exactly where the position of that electron is at any given moment. You really can just create sort of a, a, a sphere around the potential places where that electron could be given its uh, momentum. So you don't you don't really know exactly where that electron is. Okay. Is my point. All right? Sure. So that sphere is a certain size. But you, you have like a probability. A probability. Right? Yeah. There, there's a probability that it could be at any on any point in that sphere. Mm-hmm. Now that sphere is is approaching a, an electronic gate. A tra- uh, so a transistor. So this is something that we'd see in a microprocessor. And in fact, quantum tunneling is something that microprocessor. Uh, manufacturers have to actually worry about. So it gets towards this gate. The gate is closed, which means that the electron should not pass through it. Mm -hmm. But if the gate is thin enough, so we're talking about a a microprocessor that's got very, very, very tiny connections in order to pack as many transistors in there as possible. If the gate is thin enough, then that field where the electron possibly could be could overlap that gate and actually pass on to the other side. And because the probability is there that the electron might be on the other side, sometimes it is on the other side. So it's as if it has passed through the gate without actually passing through it. On one moment, it's on one side. On the the next moment, it's on the other side. Now, with microprocessors, this is a problem because if the gate is supposed to be closed and blocking off the electrons mm-hmm. and the electrons are passing through anyway. Then we don't want Challenger's electron to be on the other side. Yeah, we've got – you get computer errors. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. things – it's just not working properly because it cannot control the flow of electrons the way it needs to in order to run processes. Wow. So this is a real problem well, when this, it comes to microarchitecture. This gets into a thing about matter, right, that solid matter isn't really solid. Right, yeah, <laughs> yeah. There's more empty space. And, yeah, yeah. There's all that as well. But that's that's slightly different, but an interesting idea. So the the part about quantum tunneling that gets to faster than light communication is that it appears that the electron can pass over a distance faster than a photon would be able to travel that same distance. So what? you know this this jump where it would go from one side of a gate to another side of a gate, it could do that at a speed that's faster. Than the speed of light. How is that possible? Because an electron has mass. I see. That's a good question. It, and, and honestly, the answer is really more like we probably it's probably another manifestation of Heisenberg's uncertainty principle, where to us it appears as if the electron is moving faster than the speed of light, when in reality it's not. But it's really mm. just a probability issue more so than a. Yeah. Right, it's more of a it's, probability thing than a than an actual speed thing. But then you know there are those who have said that. You, if you calculate it at these incredibly tiny distances, remember this is we're talking the the nanoscale here. So mm-hmm. very a, small stopwatch. A nanometer is one billionth of a meter. So we're talking really, really tiny. At that scale, uh, it, it's essentially that electron might move at what would be equivalent to four point seven times the speed of light. But again, it's all this probability uncertainty stuff. It may not have anything to do with speed at all. It has to do with our understanding of of quantum mechanics. Well, yeah, I mean, it would have to, right? Because it, 
that would posit, like we talked about earlier, that the, the electron would have to have infinite mass and infinite energy, right? Right. To, yeah. So and, obviously and, that's not happening. And again, most physicists are saying that there's – even with this interesting phenomenon, there's no uh, capacity here for faster-than-light communication. So, you know, we've been shooting down these things left and right. I <laughs> I think ultimately <laughs> what the, the conclusion we come to is – as we understand the world to operate as of right now, there is no faster than light communication opportunity out there. That's not to say that we won't find it later down the line and that some discovery won't allow us to have this, this what to us right now really does seem a magical magic, property. Yeah. Well, it, it does seem impossible based on what we know, but I think we should point out that almost every really, really cool innovation has come by people trying to do things that were said to be impossible. Right. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And, and who knows what we'll know tomorrow? Yeah. Who knows what we'll know by the time this podcast goes live? Yeah. We'll get more of those emails. Right. Excellent. And, and if we're lucky, maybe we already received them because they were sent faster than light and they've traveled back in time to when, right. before we – if the, only they had gotten here just before we recorded, we could have prevented all the, that. The Tachyon anti-email <laughs> server. Yeah. I think I've got my spam filter blocking all Tachyon messages. So It's for the best. Yeah. All right. Well, that that's a good discussion on faster than light communication. Enlarge your tachyons. Yeah, we're gonna wrap this sucker up. Uh, so, guys, if you have any dis- suggestions on topics we should tackle in future episodes of Forward Thinking, get in touch with us. Let us know. We've got an email address that's fwthinking at discovery dot com, or drop us a line on our website that's fwthinking dot com. You can read our blogs there. You can watch the video series. You can listen to more episodes of the podcast. You can join us on our social media and. You you can tell us how we all need to go attend a uh, quantum mechanics lecture to make sure that we know what we're talking about. I'm fairly confident, but then I'm also tired. But we will all talk to you again, maybe in the past. For more on this topic and the future of technology, visit forwardthinking.com. Brought to you by Toyota. Let's go places. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org. Good sleep should come naturally, and with the new Natural Hybrid mattress, it can. A collaboration between Lisa and West Elm, the Natural Hybrid is expertly crafted from natural latex, natural wool, and certified safe foams to elevate your sleep sanctuary and support a greener tomorrow. Plus, every purchase helps fuel Lisa's work with shelters and those in need. Don't put off a good night's sleep any longer. Get a Lisa mattress today for a sound sleep tonight. Visit lisa.com slash iHeart. That's l-e-e-s-a dot com slash 
slash iHeart. Hey guys, back at the playground again, huh? Yep. You know what this playground could use? A wine country. Heck yeah, and some waves. So we could go surfing. Oh, <laughs> ah, love that. A redwood forest would be cool. I'm in. Ah, ski slopes. Let's do it. Um, can a girl go shopping? Yeah, baby. Wait. Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. There are choices that can change your life. Like the choice to start routine colorectal cancer screening at age 45. It's one of the most common cancers for women and men, and it doesn't always have symptoms. But there's good news. Routine screening can catch colorectal cancer early and even prevent it. And there's even better news. You have screening options. Make the choice to put your health first. Talk to your doctor about your screening options or visit cdc.gov slash screen for life for more information.